Hello everyone, this is Ivan Oleg Smith with Yoga You Online, and I'm very pleased to be here today with Deborah Volk, founder of Samankaya Yoga Back Care and Scoliosis Collective in New York City. Deborah has, in part inspired by her own back issues, developed a style of yoga teaching focused on alignment and anatomy. And she has extensive yoga education with teachers like BKS Ayenka, uh, Donald Moyer, Rachel Lynch-John, and as well as yoga and scoliosis teachers Bobby Pulse and Elise Browning-Miller. Deborah, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your own journey. You have worked with yoga for back care for a number of years. How did you get to specialize in this work? So um, I began as a practitioner. Um, I had a little bit of Iyengar and then I was practicing Vinyasa and Ashtanga. And um, when I switched my style focus, it was because I'd had some injuries and then my teachers kept focusing on my scoliosis, which I had very little awareness of. And so I, um, when I began teaching in 2000, I did a 200 hour training. Um, I didn't, I kind of didn't know what to teach. And so I decided just to share for myself because everyone I looked at had some asymmetry or some back problems or some, um, alignment issue that they needed to focus on. And so that's where I picked up and then it became, people started coming to me because they had back issues or because they had scoliosis. Mm, interesting. So it gave me sort of a talking point in the beginning right. and then it became my style. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting with, with scoliosis because usually people think about it as like a um, medical condition and if your spine has a curvature over a certain degree then it's officially a medical diagnosis but as you mentioned yourself a lot of people have some degree of asymmetry in their spine irrespectively and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a defined medical condition true yeah yeah, yeah most people have some asymmetry um, maybe I've seen like three backs in my whole life that don't have asymmetry. I remember in India, Gita Iyengar bringing a man on stage and said, find the asymmetry. And 200 of us stared at him and looked and we couldn't see any asymmetry. But that's a very rare thing indeed because the body is not symmetrical. Right. The organs are not symmetrical. Nothing is really symmetrical in the body. And you get, um, even when you're in the womb, you have one leg in front of the other, one arm and uh, come out of the body, come out of your mother's body with a pattern. And right. that pattern is what you work for your whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in your case, um, were, was your back issues, it was like, was there, was it serious enough that you would have pain issues? Was that what kind of inspired you to keep going down this track? Yes, I had probably every kind of pain issue you could imagine. So when I was about 32, I fell off a ladder. I was, I was a decorative painter 
and I fell 12 feet off a ladder onto my sacrum and my ribs. And then I fell in performance RPs, I fell like a year later on my ribs. And after the first accident, I couldn't walk for a couple of months. I, it took me a long time to heal. And then after the second accident, I started wondering why I was falling and I started getting body work. And um, the, um, I, I, had, I was presenting with sciatica and um, the body worker went in and he charted my spine. He went in and felt my spine with his hands and then he made a chart of my spine, a very detailed drawing. And then he started to move my spinous processes into the center. Now, believe me, I did not understand any of this at the time, but all I knew is after 10 sessions, my pain was relieved. And so I started to get the idea that if you start getting some focus on the body, that you could heal the body. And then when I started practicing yoga, I started to feel a bit of that. But it wasn't until I really started thinking about aligning the body in my practice that a lot of these injuries started to um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And what about with your work with uh, students? What are some of the conditions that you find that your students get relief from? Um, well, I'll name them scoliosis, kyphosis, lordosis, the alignment issues. You know, the kyphosis is the spine moving back in space, and lordosis is the spine moving forward in space, and bulging and herniated discs spondylolisthesis, spondylosis, frozen shoulder, sciatica, radiculopathy, um, shoulder impingements, hip issues, neck pain, stenosis, pretty much any musculoskeletal issue, you're uh, going to find some release really from the practice. Right. Because in space in the joints, the joints in the spine, or the joints in the arms and legs or in the neck or at the base of the skull and that space is going to bring some relief. Oh, interesting. So would you say that that is one of the basic principles that you work with in uh, creating a program for students or tell us about sort of your, the general principles that you apply that you found to help students with back issues? So for back care specifically, the major issue is to find a neutral spine. So the spine has neutral curves, the thoracic uh, backwards with kyphosis and the lumbar forward with lordosis. People tend to exaggerate these things or they're not present or they're in the wrong places in the spine. So the first thing we look for is how can we make the spine elong elongated and neutral. And so that's the first principle is to see that, how to sense that, and how to create that with the postures. And then the next principle is, and very important for all therapeutics, is to break. So Mr. Iyengar used to say, break the pose and not the body. So instead of trying to make a shape that you see in a book, you're trying to create a posture or part of a posture that will bring the correct action into the 
part of the spine that is misaligned. If there's a misalignment, the whole, everything is misaligned. Mm. If it's, you know, you can't do um, a chest opener where you're lying over a block, then maybe you're just standing next to a wall with your arm out behind you and stretching the arm. Because not everyone has access to those full body poses or the poses in light on your mat. Right. Yeah. So the poses have to be broken down into their parts so you can address the pose so that the student has access to it. Right. And are you able to do this in a class setting or is this more one-on-one -on -one work? No, I'm able to do it in a class setting. I can have 20 people in this room and they can all be breaking the pose down instead of breaking themselves. So um, I'll go through the class step by step. I'll build up from a piece of the pose, like maybe everyone's just standing here. And then maybe people are then taking the ropes behind them, which is stronger for a lot of people. And then maybe the next step would be to start um, opening up the front of the body and hanging a little from the ropes. And maybe there's some people that just repeat the last step. They wouldn't go to the next step. So I monitor the people in the class according to their back conditions about how far they'll go in the sequence. And over time, they learn to monitor themselves too. They know what feels right and what is hurting. Mm. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's an art in and of itself, teaching students the patience to be with wherever their body is instead of wanting to do what they think they have to do. Well, with back care students, it's a mix. There's students who are afraid to do anything. They're afraid to move at all. And then there's the students who They've been going to general yoga classes and they feel they have, they're being, something's being taken away from them when they don't. Yeah. You have to kind of get everybody together on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's challenging enough, but simple enough. Right. Right. Yeah. Good point. Um, and one of your specializations is uh, in yoga for scoliosis. And you made reference uh, to having had. Um, problems with scoliosis yourself? Yes. So, um, unlike most of my students, I did not have that I remember a teenage diagnosis or a brace or, you know, the doctor's visit to the orthopedist um, where things were discussed in front of me. I do remember my mother talking about something with my doctor and all of a sudden I was assigned some exercises. Uh -huh. And the exercises to walk around with a book on my head. And the other exercise, which is a very bad exercise for scoliosis because you'll always compensate to keep the book on your head. And then the other exercise was to walk with my feet straight on the floorboards. Neither of these exercises were interesting to me. I never did them. I did them once maybe. And then um, I was not a physical young person. I was an intellectual young person. The whole posture thing did not interest me at all. So um, it didn't really come up until later when I fell. And then I went to see that PT. And that started to interest me because it helped me. And then when I... Um, when I started practicing yoga, 
I started practicing for completely different reasons than for my scoliosis or for pain. But then when I um, started practicing with IANGAR teachers, actually first with Allison West and then with IANGAR teachers, people kept pointing out to me like, oh, you have quite a bit of scoliosis and you need to pay attention to this. And I didn't, it didn't mean anything to me when they said that, but then when I started actually doing something with it, I felt so much better and my practice felt better and I felt better in my life like exponentially better and my pain started going away and I felt emotionally more uplifted I felt like my yoga practice was really working for me and so I started really focusing on it that's when I met Bobby Fultz and things started to really click because she started talking about how the nervous system is distorted with scoliosis that's her main teaching and because your limbs are at an angle, they're, they're misaligned with the trunk. And so your nerve pathways are different and you have a different proprioceptive pathway. And that people with scoliosis will have a distortion of where they are in space. And then I started to click, like that's why I was falling. And that's why I always had coordination problems as a child and um, and it's as, and it's as an adult, and um, that yoga was difficult for me. Because yoga, yoga, I could do everything to one side and nothing to the other side, and I feel why it was happening. And so finally, someone had the answer for me because I'd been asking my teachers, and no one. And so um, she put, she made it make sense. To so then I started really relating to the scoliosis, especially this nervous system aspect of the scoliosis. So um, that was how I got into it. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. And we talked earlier about how everyone has some degree of asymmetry in their body, and a lot of people have some degree of um, scoliosis, even though it doesn't reach the medical threshold for clinical significance. Um, but is that something people should be concerned about? I think a lot of people, when they practice yoga, can tell they do some, the twists are easier on one side and harder on the other side. And, you know, as you get more aware of your body, you realize, yeah, there are some imbalances in the spine. Is that something people should be concerned about or small amounts is like okay, or it's okay at one stage of life and gets worse over time, or? So, um, yes, all of these things. Um, to me, the practice of yoga is alignment of the spine. I know there's other forms of yoga and they're looking for different things perhaps. And to me, yoga is about balance and it's about healing the body and so when you have an imbalance in your spine and you're not addressing it with your yoga, then I'm not quite sure what you're doing. The practice is looking for that and, and not correcting it, but sensing it and moving into a more centered place. Right. For people medically to be worried about a small scoliosis, maybe, maybe not. If there's no pain, I would obsess on it. But um, it does progress for women at hormonal changes. 
So if you're planning to get pregnant and then have a delivery, that is going to change your spinal alignment. It's going to change your ligaments elasticity and you could lose support of the spine and the scoliosis could progress. And then same in menopause. And menopause, I think, is the most frequent time after adolescence for scoliosis to progress. I see it all the time. Women who are 60 years old, older or younger, they come to me and they're like, I never had this. I didn't know anything about it. My trainer saw it. My yoga teacher saw it. And they said, wow, you have scoliosis. Why are you addressing this? And then I look at, when I started seeing it, because I'd never heard of this before, say, in 2005, I had never really decided to come across my path. Um, and I wasn't in menopause yet. And I was like, wow, how could they not see this scoliosis? Because people with like a 50 degree scoliosis or a 40 quite a bit of scoliosis and um, then I realized that it was something that was happening after menopause. Doctors don't talk about it and they don't more about it and I'm hoping that I can raise awareness about this because it's a big issue for women, a health issue and it's not being addressed in the medical yeah, it's very interesting that you're saying that because I, I definitely have observed that with my uh, older friends that a significant number of them that I've known for 20, 30 years, the spine has changed and they've gotten, um, you know, when the scoliosis is so pronounced that it's visible to the eye, it has gotten very pronounced. And um, I've seen it enough that I've had that same thought that there must be something that happens. And it's interesting that you say it's the hormonal changes associated with menopause. So something else also happens with aging is when you get into very advanced age or if there's osteoporosis, there's another form of scoliosis. It's not an idiopathic scoliosis like what I'm talking about, but it's called degenerative scoliosis where the bones actually degenerate. And then when you see your older relative who's like 90 and their spine is like a Z, that's a different issue and it has to be dealt with differently than an idiopathic, you know, the type of thing you're talking right, about. Right. Someone's very old and their bones are brittle and they have this type of scoliosis that looks very angular, then it needs to be dealt with very gently because it's not going to you're not going to push it back into the midline or anything like that. You want to just get the person out of pain. Right, right. Interesting. So at that point, is it uh, some of the same issues that cause hyperkyphosis? Is the same because hyperkyphosis also becomes more common as people get old? Um, very often it has to do with um, degeneration of the bones, but it also you know, we have our patterns. So if your pattern was to sit at a desk here, you know, reading a book, like most of my relatives, <laughs> um, it's just going to exaggerate over a lifetime as well. So you may see don't have osteoporosis, but they're going in that direction. It's like, you know, everything exaggerates. Yeah. yeah. I assume yeah. it would be the same for a dancer who has a very flat spine that they would keep moving forward. So, right. yeah, yeah, good point. We keep following our pattern unless we start educating ourselves too. Yeah.
So, so in working with students, do you, have you found that yoga provides um, an effective way for people to work with scoliosis so it doesn't progress or possibly even gets better? Um, I have seen all three. My, the most common thing I see is that people feel better, that their muscular use is more balanced, that they have a better sense of where they are in space, and they move better. Mm. Um, there are cases like my own case or like Elise Browning Miller where we have reduced our curves. And sometimes I see it in really amazing cases where I don't expect anything from the person. They don't practice much. They aren't really focused. And they say, oh, I went to the doctor and I gained an inch and my scoliosis is 10 degrees less. And I'm like, well, good for you. And sometimes I see people who practice really strongly and still they get some so it can depend on the person's individual chemistry and body. It could depend sometimes on diet and things like that have a factor. And it can depend on the person's focus. Mm, interesting. And how strong their practice is. Yeah. But in cases when people practice well, they'll have great results. Yeah. And, and what are the principles that you use? in targeting a yoga practice to people for scoliosis? So the first thing I teach my students is the difference between the convex and concave side of each curve. So in the United States, the, the model is that people have one C curve or two curves that make an S. And it's shown on a lateral plane on an x-ray. But the scoliosis is also rotational. So one curve is turning one way, the other curve is turning the other way. The side that sticks out, the convex side, so if there's a rotation, the side that sticks out is hypotenuse. Yes? Makes sense? So that side's going to speak to the person all the time. They're going to feel pain there, they're going to feel a lot of sensations going on there, it might be achy, it might be sore all the time, and the other side kind of doesn't do anything. It's getting more and more contracted, the muscles are getting shorter, but the nerves are deeper to the surface and there's no sensation there until there's a spasm. So the first thing I teach my students is how to differentiate where their curves are the lateral curve, and then to differentiate between the convex and the concave. If someone has a very pronounced scoliosis, they know where the convexity is, but they may have just shut off the concavity. So then we have to turn on the nervous system where the concavities are. So I have them do something very simple, like Akhtavirasana, child's pose, and I put my hand onto their concavity, or I have them stand up against a wall and feel their concavity, and they learn to breathe into that area. Because most of us always want to stretch the convexity because it aches. But what has to actually be open and stretching is the concavity. So that's the first principle of working with scoliosis, is they need to learn to breathe into the concavity, stretch the concavity, and have awareness of the there's two, it can be confusing. The two concavities could be close to each other, and they can spend years trying to find exactly where those concavities are. 
from there, you can take that breath into the poses that will help derotate you later on when you get into the complex poses like the standing poses or the twists, which are very confusing for scoliosis because that rotation is working with another rotation. We already have a rotation, and then we have to rotate again and figure out where the right place to rotate is so that we can actually derotate the pattern as opposed to keep spinning in the pattern. That's why one side was easy and the other side was hard when I was practicing um, before my awareness of scoliosis. So that's the first principle. And then there's a kind of a list of principles that I inherited from my teachers. So the first step is um, finding length. So extension. So doing things like doing Adamukrishmanasana, dog pose on the ropes, and extending and tractioning the spine, not hanging loose from the ropes yet, just getting that length in the spine. Or doing things like Tadasana or Vahastasana, where you get the length in the spine. So all the beginning poses, not just at the beginning of learning yoga, but beginning of each practice, have to address length and extension. And then after finding the length and extension, one has to look at the arms and the legs and how they're connecting into the body. So I even look at if people's fingers are straight, right? Because the little asymmetry in the hands could go and make an effect in the shoulder. So from the periphery inward into the spine and straightening out the arms and legs and getting them to connect into the body. Another issue with scoliosis is that the joints are hypermobile for most people with scoliosis. So if one arm is kind of hanging out of the socket all the time, this one, then you have to work on lifting that one into the socket, it's usually the one on the next to then um, after working with the arms and legs and strengthening and connecting the arms and legs to the trunk, then you work with um, extension, arms and legs, um, <laughs> sorry, awareness of the asymmetry and patterns, so things like standing against the wall, doing all of your standing poses with the back against the wall so that you can feel where you're rotating and where you are um, where you're moving away and where you're moving towards and it's not just the drum but one leg is going to be closer to the wall one arm will be closer to the wall because the limbs aren't in line one foot will always turn out one foot will always turn more in one foot will have a high arch one foot will have a low arch so finding all these differences in the practice is the third step and then the um, then derotation. The derotation is um, complex, and for most people, involves derotating two areas of the spine. And so one has to think about where they're breathing and where they're moving from, because try to derotate and you're sort of just being vague about it, like, I'm going to turn this back, then you may be actually rotating something else into the pattern. Mm -hmm. So slowly, slowly from the breath, learning to slowly derotate the program. Mm -hmm. 
Sounds like a six-month course. Oh, it's like a twenty-year course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So you're teaching in like series, so that people that you can make sure that you have a group that you can keep building with. My, many of my students have been with me for many, many, many years. Right? Yeah. They, they see the value of the practice. They feel better, so they keep coming back. And they may have some other practice that they do elsewhere, but they're bringing these principles and their new strength to that practice. Mm -hmm. So I don't forbid people to do other things or anything like that, but I do have regular students and they're very committed to this practice. Yeah, that's beautiful. And when people just start out, do you try to kind of fold all the principles into a lesson and you just kind of keep cycling through them or do they have to like, you know, take a series so you're sure that everyone gets the same foundation? Um, we have series at the studio. I, I'm not really teaching it. But, um, so there's definitely series for people who want to start at the beginning and go through kind of the fundamentals with a group of other people who are just beginning. And then I have um, open level classes and basics classes. So the basics classes are going to just function. They're just... Um, Focusing on spinal length and um, and maybe a little bit of feeling where you are rotationally, but a lot of awareness and spinal length, and then restorative, like quieting the system and uh, getting the basic actions of moving from your hip. How do you use the props? That's the basic stuff. In the open classes, 
um, you'll get a lot of these factors. Um, I have to see who's there that day because it's drop-in classes. So for people, a lot of new people, I'm not going to put the leg lifts in the class. Right? I'm not going to have them hang upside down they're going to do more simple things but if it's a group of students that are strong and I've known them a long time then we might do those things and then I also have an intermediate class mm -hmm. the intermediate students do everything right. even the fused students and people with spinal fusions some of them have been with me for years and they're able to do amazing things so I really see people progress over the years and um, people who came thinking they couldn't even move have blossomed into real yoga practitioners. That's beautiful. What advice would you give to people who have back problems and they're sort of wondering if yoga might help them but a little bit concerned that maybe they could hurt themselves? Based on your experience, how would people go about it if they want to you know, try to see if yoga is a suitable activity for them. So, um, there's a lot of yoga out there, and I would advise people to definitely look for the best teacher for them, someone who has a lot of experience, many years of experience, and can work with therapeutics. So if you don't live in New York and you can't visit me, <laughs> then I would recommend that, um, and on my website, at Samankaya Yoga, maybe you'll show the website, um, you can see a list of teachers all over the country who work with back issues and therapeutic issues of all kinds, who've come and visited our studios but that we have a relationship with. And on Elise Browning Miller's website, you can see a list of all the teachers for yoga for scoliosis that she's ever trained all over the country and some other places in the world. And we have some European teachers on our site as well, and I think she does too. And then if none of those are in your neighborhood, then I would look for the most senior Iyengar teacher because Iyengar teachers do have therapeutics training. So they're able to see the body, or, um, you see the right and left side, or you can see the injury, and um, they can maybe track you into a class that's going at a slower level because they have levels in their classes. So as a, for a teacher, that's what I would suggest. I would also suggest as the best back hair book ever written is by Mary Coolidge Schatz very old book by Broadmel Press called Back Care Basics. Get it on Amazon or wherever. And then Scoliosis, the best two books. This is a new book by Elise Browning Miller and D.L. Parity, Yoga for Scoliosis. I'm covering my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And um, it's a really wonderful book, and it has very clear photographs and how to use the props and, and those kinds of instructions. And this is Bobby Fultz's booklet. It's less well-known. You have to go to Bobby's website. Um, I'll, I'll give you the address. 
yoga and scoliosis, mm. or you can just Google Bobby Fultz yoga and you have to order it her, from her, you have to send her a check. But this book really helps you understand your scoliosis by sensation. She has instructions how to sense it, it's a lot of written material about um, what your scoliosis is and how it affects you that I've never read anywhere else. And it's a very, very interesting book, so I highly recommend it. So I can start there yes. and definitely practice. Don't be afraid to practice what your teacher gives you on your own because that stops a lot of people. They feel like, oh, I'm doing it wrong or I'm not doing it completely right. It doesn't matter. You'll refine your your poses down the line, but you have to practice practice what you yeah. Wonderful. Well, Deborah, thank you so much, um, both for joining us today, but especially for all this incredible work you're doing. It thank sounds you. like you're trailing, you're blazing some new trails in an area where a lot of people are hurting and suffering a lot without very many options. So um, thank you so much for sharing of, of your work. Thank you. I, I really love my work and I really love um, and seeing their transformation, so it's important for me. So, if you're considering, anyone's considering therapeutics, I highly recommend it. A great field, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you.